Martin Seagal! So I think how this is going to work, Martin's going to kick us off and then we're going to kick some questions around. Is that right? Great, brilliant. Okay, here's Martin. So Stephen met me, sent me on a mission to find out whether the girls had started. So I just popped my head in. No, not really. They look like they just sat down. How was everyone this morning? <laughs> Who slept well last night? Who's excited that they've only got one more night in a tent? Oh, I started dreaming about my bed last night. That's how excited I am. Okay, if you've got your Bibles, hold them in the air like you just don't care. And go, Bible! That's <laughs> what you've got to do every Sunday at church now. <laughs> or your phone, yeah. If you've got your phone and your Bible's on it, don't just go on fa- Facebook or whatever. We're going to be in Luke 4 today. Um, the aim is I'm just going to talk really briefly for a moment, and then we're going to take uh, some questions. If you want to be texting in some questions, you can be doing that right now. Um, I don't know what the number is, though. Stephen's going to find the number for us. Okay, if you want to do... Uh, if you're thinking of questions, you want to text them, get your phone out now. Get ready to write this phone number down if you haven't already. And you can text any question that you want to ask. Any question at all. Are you ready? It is 07841-687-490. That was 07841-687-490. You may have recognized that voice. Stephen, Stephen does the voiceover on the radio, you know, when they do the kind of numbers and stuff, that was exactly it. Okay, so basically the aim is I'm going to talk very briefly and then we're going to take some questions. We've got an incredible panel uh, lined up for you guys that know every answer to every question that you're going to ask, um, so brace yourselves for that. But uh, I wanted to, to just talk briefly on something called temptation. Anyone, can anyone tell me what the word temptation means? Anyone got any idea what temptation means? Yes, Joe. Being tempted, yeah, that's it. Shorten the word is to be tempted. It's basically to be drawn to 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 be drawn to do something or to uh, say something or to think something that isn't quite right. Okay, and so today I just want to spend a bit of time looking at that. So you know, in our Bibles, we see actually Jesus being tempted. Because I don't know what your week's been like. You may have had an incredible week this week. You may have encountered God in amazing ways in meetings. You may have been healed. Uh, you know, throughout this week as people have prayed for you. You may have got saved this week and become a Christian. You know, there may have been amazing things that have happened, and I don't know what is in store for you over this coming year, but what I do know is that all of us will face the challenge of temptation. All of us will be tempted to do things, to say things, to think things that Jesus doesn't want us to be doing and walking in and thinking and saying. And so what we've got to see is how on earth can we be those this coming year, be men that don't give in to temptation? Because it's not wrong to be tempted. It's not that you are bad if you're tempted. Actually, we see everyone's tempted, even Jesus. So in the, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, we're going to read verses 1 to 12, okay? So this is the story. Let me just give you a bit of background to this. Jesus has just come onto the scene at this point. He's about 30 years old. Um, and he's been baptized. And as Jesus has been baptized, as he's gone under the water and come back up, there's a voice from heaven that shouts out, God the Father shouting out, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And as he's saying that, the Holy Spirit comes and descends on Jesus like a dove, lands on Jesus, and Jesus is anointed for what God has planned for him. Okay, It's been a big moment in Jesus' life. And straight after that, we read this, verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, that's where he got baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. 
The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it's been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I just want to show you from this passage three ways that the enemy will tempt us over the coming year, okay? He tempted Jesus in this way. He's going to tempt us in this way as well. And one answer that Jesus has, one solution that Jesus has to temptation, okay? Everyone up for that? Good, great. (laughs) One person is. The first uh, temptation we see that the the devil tries to hit Jesus is is right at the beginning in verse 3. Now, this is is probably one of my favorite verses, verse 2, because of the understatedness of it. You know, there's some some aspects in the Bible that are really understated. So, for example, when it's talking about creation, there's actually a throwaway line which says, oh, and he created the stars. It's just like a throwaway line. That was nothing, you know, compared to everything else. It's incredible. And this is another one. It says this. For 40 days, Jesus was being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, so for 40 days, Jesus has not eaten. When those days were ended, he was hungry. I mean, what an understatement. If, if, if we had gone 40 days without eating, and I was to say to you, how are you doing? I doubt anyone would use the word hungry. I think we'd go for more extreme. I'm starving. You know, I am ravenous. I am, I'm going to eat a whole cow when I see one. I'm that hungry kind of thing. It just says about Jesus, he was hungry. And so the devil sees this. He's thinking, Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days. He's clearly hungry. I'm going to tempt him by, by making him compromise, by saying, look, I can see what you want. I can see what you're desiring. Why don't you take it? And so he appears and he says, if you are the son of God, why don't you turn this stone into bread? He's saying, look, Jesus, I can see the desire in your heart for food. And actually, why don't you, you just turn that stone into bread? He's trying to tempt Jesus to start to walk into things that God hasn't got planned for him to walk into. And actually, the truth is for every single one of us, that's what the enemy is going to do with us. Temptation is going to try and draw us into things that we think we want and we think we need, but actually aren't good for us. And so he's going to come, and it might be you get home after New Day, and suddenly your mates come knocking at your door, and they're like, hey, look, we're going to go and do this thing. And you're thinking, oh, I really want to do that, but you know it's not right. You're tempted to go and do it. That's, that's the same thing that was going on with Jesus here. It might be that late at night you get home and uh, everyone else is asleep in your house and you've got your telly on and that thing comes on the telly that you shouldn't really be watching and you're thinking, I want to watch this. This feels good. In that moment, that's tempting. It's draw, tempting you to try and watch it. The enemy's trying to get at your desires for things. That actually will make you desire God less and desire other things more. And so the enemy, first off, first thing he tries to hit Jesus with is saying, look, I can see that you need this thing. Now, for Jesus, it wasn't the wrong thing. He needed food. But he's trying to make him not trust in God, but trust in other things. He's saying, look, why don't you find your your desires met in these things rather than in God? And so he's trying to tempt Jesus. He's trying to draw Jesus away from God by saying, look, do these things. And that's what's going to happen to us. Every moment of every day, we're being tempted. And one of the ways we're being tempted is that we're having whispered and we're having it shouted at us that we need to have our desires met. These things that we need, these things that we want, we really do need them. And so we've got to have them no matter what. 
And so we've been tempted to go away from God, to run away from the Father and to go to these other things and find our satisfaction in these areas. We see that is the first temptation. The second one comes in verse 6. And it says this in verse 6. This is the devil speaking. To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. The second temptation that we will face in, in the kind of coming year and beyond is that the enemy will try and make us feel like we are more important than other people. And he'll try and get that into your heart. He'll try and make you think that you are the most important person in your youth group. You're the most important person in your friendship group. You're the most important person in your family group. And so he'll try and tempt you to be someone that pushes others down so that you can rise up. See that? He's saying to Jesus, look, Jesus, if you just stop worshipping God and you worship me instead, I'll give you everything I've got. You will have all of the glory that I can give you. You'll have all the authority that I can give you if you just give up these other things. And so he's tempting Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, look, I want to tempt you with pride. I want you to, to feel as though you're really important and really special, and I can make you feel that if you just come this way. And for lots of us, pride's a massive issue. Pride is something that we don't really want to worship God because we have to humble ourselves, and we have to kind of think well of other people, and we have to kind of watch other people do well and celebrate what they're doing. We're tempted to be proud people that say, no, no, look, I am the most important. I want everyone to think I'm amazing. I want everyone to think that I'm the best. I want everyone to... to to see how good I am at these things. And so pride tempts us to not worship God, but worship other things. Worship ourselves, worship football, worship money, worship whatever it is we can see, we've been tempted to run away from Jesus. So we see that the first temptation we'll face is one about our desires. Wanting to pull away from God, wanting to find our satisfaction in other things rather than him. The second one is pride. We won't worship him, we'll worship these other things. We'll want to feel important and special. And then the third one is our identity. Verse 9 the devil says this to Jesus. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God. The devil was whispering to Jesus. He started it as well in verse 3. He says, if you are the son of God. He's coming at his very identity. He's almost saying, look, if you are the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself off, this temp off the temple and the angels will catch you. If you really are the son of God. That's what it says in the Bible. You've got to do it. He's showing him, he's saying, look, if you really are this thing, and I think this is probably one of the biggest temptations that we will face, is that the devil will be whispering to us all over this year, if you really are a Christian, if you are a child of God. You see, because for some of us, we've had rough years this year. We've not done brilliantly in terms of purity and walking with Jesus. We've not done well. We've kind of gone to church, but we've kind of lived double lives, or we've not even gone to church, or we'd never been to church before this week, and we've now met Jesus, and it's changed our lives. And we're going back into uh, the kind of normal world that isn't like New Day. And we'll be tempted, and, and we, will be, we will find that we will be battered left, right, and center of this question, oh, are you really a Christian? If you are a Christian... Shouldn't you be praying more? If you are a Christian, shouldn't you be reading your Bible more? If you are a Christian, should you really be thinking that thing or doing that thing? And suddenly what we find is that it's not pride. It's absolute. Like we just get battered with despair. We get battered with condemnation. We feel awful. We feel rubbish. And we think, well, I can't be a Christian then because I'm doing these things. I'm doing it wrong. Listen, what we see here is that the enemy straight away comes and whispers at us and accuses us and tries to question our identity in Jesus. The truth is if you're a Christian here today, you're not a Christian because you've done amazing things. I'm sorry to break it to you. You're not a Christian because you're perfect. You're not a Christian because you passed God's holy checklist. Do you know what I mean? First one, have they read the whole Bible? Yes, tick, right, they're in. Have they prayed? Yep, tick, they're in. Okay, you know, have they served someone? Yes, brilliant, now they are a Christian. That's not how it works. As we've heard all week, to be a Christian is to encounter Jesus Christ and have him save us and change us. 
And so actually, whether we're Christian or not isn't based on how good we behave and how well we do. It's based on the grace of God and him at work in us. But what we see here is that the enemy is even coming at Jesus and questioning his identity. If you really are the son of God, you're going to have to prove it. And for us this year, you will find that you will be tempted time and time again to doubt whether you are a son of God, whether you're a child of God, whether you are a Christian and been brought into his family. And so the question is, how do we overcome these things? If we're going to be tempted this year, like Jesus was, how are we going to overcome them? Is it just, you know, guys, we're men, so we've got to, you know, everyone goes, do that with me. Yeah, and we've just got to, we've just got to grit our teeth, and we have got to work as hard as we can. And when we're tempted, we're just like, I'm not going to give in. I am not going to do that thing. I'm not going to think that way. And that is it. You know, the strongest of us will survive this year. The rest of us will just be laying on the ground somewhere where we've given up to temptation, and you know, all is lost. The brilliant truth is that how we overcome temptation is not through our hard work. We see one simple yet amazing solution to how we can overcome temptation. Did anyone see it in here? Any, any ideas? How could we overcome temptation? Yeah. The Holy Spirit, great. Any others? At the back there in the blue top? Great, so running away from temptation. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. There's one solution that Jesus shows us here, which I love, and, and I don't know if you saw it, but every time the enemy came at if we're temp- with temptation, so the first one, if you are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. What's Jesus' answer? What does Jesus say? Scripture. Scripture. Someone read out for me. Verse 4, Jesus answered him. It is written. Well done. It is written. When you look at Jesus' response, every time the enemy tempts him, Jesus' answer is, it is written. What he's saying is, it's in here. Listen, the biggest way we can overcome temptation is by being those that know our Bible. It really is true. And the Bible is like the, you know, the least sexy book in the world. In terms of, you know what I mean? If you're, if you're hanging out with your mates and like, hey, what are you reading? You're like, I'm reading the Bible. They're like, oh, wow. Is that good? You're like, well... You know, <laughs> some of it is, some of it I don't really understand. Other bits, I can't pronounce the names. It's really confusing, all this kind of stuff. Actually, what we see is Jesus was able to fight against temptation because he knew the Bible. So when the enemy came and said, look, you're hungry. Why don't you turn that stone into bread? Jesus knew that the enemy was testing him. And so Jesus was like, no, listen, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. I can find everything I need in God. I don't need to run to other things. I don't need to make things happen in my life because I can trust that the Father is at work in my life. When, when the enemy comes and says, listen, if you worship me, I'll give you all authority, all glory. You can, you know, you can really be someone. Jesus says, look, it's written. No, you shall worship no, no one else but God and shall serve no one else but him. Jesus knows that because he's read his Bible. We need to be those that grow at reading our Bible. Who reads their Bible during the year outside a new day? Who finds it easy to read their Bible during the year outside a new day? A few people, a few holy ones, we can learn from you afterwards in terms of how it is. I find it hard sometimes. I've got a 17-month-old daughter now, and she likes to wake up early in the morning. And uh, so it means that sleep has become something of a, of, a, of a treat if ever she does sleep in. And so often in the morning, I'm really tired when I've, you know, I've woken up early and I'm trying to you know, help Annabeth kind of get dressed and have breakfast. And, and then within all of that madness, I've got to find some time to read my Bible. But actually, I know that if I read this Bible so often when I do read it, the Bible isn't just a book. 
It's not just something that we read. It's not a novel. It's not like, I don't know, whatever good books are out there at the moment. I just finished reading Lord of the Rings. I read it quite regularly because I love Lord of the Rings. But, uh, you know, it's not a book like that. This, it tells us that this is living and active. So what that means is when we read the Bible, we can expect that the Word of God will come to life in us. So there's so often when I read the Bible in the morning and I just feel like God really speak to me through it. And then I'm, I'm, I'm held by it. I'm gripped by it. And this is just running through my head all day. And I'll get into conversations with people. And I'm finding that what I read in the morning is really helpful for the conversation that I'm having. Oh, actually, I, I read this morning about that. And it said this. Oh, that's really helpful. That's really encouraging. When I'm facing difficult times, I'm able to go, oh, wait. But I remember reading in the Bible this morning that God has said this. I'm reading Job at the moment. And I find that really encouraging as I'm reading about Job and the difficulties that he goes through and how God is with him, how God is speaking to him. And I want to encourage you this year to try and get into this, this book. Okay. Often, I don't know about you, but I'm like someone who, if I go in, I'm like all in. And so I set myself the most ridiculous targets where I'll be like, okay, so when I get back from New Day, I'm going to set my alarm at five o'clock in the morning and I'm going to read my Bible for three hours. My alarm goes off at five, I put it on snooze. And next thing I know, it's like seven. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, I'll read it for, for an hour. And then about a minute in, I'm like, oh, I'm struggling already. How, listen, set yourself realistic targets. Are you a good reader or are you a bad reader? If you're not a great reader, it's okay. You can put this into bite-sized chunks. You can read chapters at a time. You can read verses at a time. Sometimes I find I can read one verse and God could just have me there for ages. I'm just processing it. Oh, this is incredible. This is so rich what I find in there. So I want to encourage you. The way that you're going to overcome temptation is by reading your Bible because you learn to understand who God is. The Bible isn't just a textbook. It's not so that you can have the right answers. So when temptation comes, you can say, well, it says in Deuteronomy 7. But actually, it's that you learn to understand who God is. And as you understand who God is, you start to understand who you are in him. And so actually, you can speak your new identity over these challenges and over these temptations rather than trying to fight it yourself. But then I love the fact that in verse 1, it says this, and we just want to finish. It says about Jesus, he was, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Listen, we cannot do any of this on our own. I love the Christian message. And I love the only reason I'm a Christian is because the truth is that I am rubbish and I can do nothing about it. And only Jesus can change me. That's the truth. There was no hope for me. There's no chance for me unless Jesus comes and does something in my life. And that's what's happened. And if you're a Christian, that's what's happened for you as well. And so actually for us ongoingly, it's not like Jesus saves us and then we become superheroes and we can do everything. To be honest, we're still pretty rubbish at lots of things, but we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit can come and he can help us. He can make us passionate about a book that we're not passionate about. He can make us excited about a God that we don't quite understand. He can make clear things about this God that we don't understand. He can come and, and do things in our hearts and change our hearts. The Bible tells us that when you become a Christian, you have a heart of stone that's removed and you get given a heart of flesh. That means that you're open to God. You can feel God. You can encounter God and you can know him. And so this year, I want to lay it down for us as 12 to 14's men. And I want to lay it down for us this, that actually we want to be those that know that we're going to be tempted as we go out of this place. We're going to be tempted to run away from God. We're going to be tempted to sin. We're going to be tempted to, you know, meet our desires and our needs in, in other things other than Jesus. We're going to be tempted in our pride to think that we're really important and other people are rubbish. And we're going to be tempted in our identity of questioning who we are. And in all of those things, let's be those that learn to grow in reading this Bible, learning who God is, learning who we are in him, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, praying for one another. As, as youth groups, I want to encourage you, pray for one another regularly. Don't just do it in the big top when people tell you to pray together. Learn to do it in your daily lives. When you're together as friends, text each other with your prayer requests. Stand with one another and encourage one another. And let's see what God will do in us. Let me pray for us and then we're going to take some questions. Jesus, I want to thank you that you are our wonderful, perfect example. 
I want to thank you, Lord, that you showed us that when we are tempted, there is hope, Lord God, that, yeah, we may mess up, we may get it wrong, but there's hope for us still, Lord God, because of your grace. And I pray that you would help us to be those, Lord, that know and grow at understanding the Bible. That, Jesus, we're really able to speak truth into our lives and into the lives of those around us because we start to grow in understanding it. And, Lord, I want to pray that we would be those that are filled with the Holy Spirit. That are those that as we go out and about our days, we're full of the Spirit of God. We're able to know you and walk with you, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Great. Okay, so we're going to start with a texted in questions. If, you're, if you think of some more as we're going, um, that's absolutely fine. You can text the, text the number still. And uh, if we get time, we'll look at them. But it's up to you guys. Do you want to see or stand? Stephen's going to stand. Can I have the phone? Oh, is <clears throat> Give it to me. It says this. Uh, is it okay to masturbate? Say masturbate! Uh, okay, so... Um, yeah, is it okay for boys to masturbate? In all seriousness. So I thought I started with a humdinger. Okay, so I thought, oh, do I need to give you some tips on masturbation? Is that what it's taking about? I don't think it is. I don't think that was the question. Is it okay for us to masturbate? Okay, well, let's look at this. There's a verse in the Bible which I love. In uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31, it says, uh, for whether you eat or drink or whatever. Everyone say, whatever. Or whatever you do it, do it all for the glory of God. Okay, so whatever you do with your life, do it all for the glory of God. Do you think you can masturbate to the glory of God? When you're having a Tommy Tanker, do you think, yeah, this is definitely bringing God glory. I'm doing this in such a beautiful way. It's definitely working. I'm guessing, Tommy Tanker, <laughs> not to say that. Um, I'm guessing probably not. Okay, the reality, the masturbation most of the time is associated with lust. Okay, so most of the time it's like, that. actually it's not just going on down there, is it? It's going on down up here as well and in here as well. And there's things there that actually, we're not, that that's not, doesn't give God glory. We're looking at women in a way that God's not called us to. Actually, we're going to view women as sisters, as daughters of God, and treat them in that way, not as objects of lust for our own desires, okay? And the reality is, in the teenagers, it's difficult because it's like, well, the Bible says, if you're burning with lust, get married. You're like, I ain't even legal to get married yet, and I'm not ready yet, and I'm not found the girl, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, well, is masturbation okay for while I'm waiting to happen? But actually, your teenage years are a wonderful opportunity for you to exercise God's wonderful gift of patience and self-control. Because you know, when you, once you get married, once you've got sex on tap with your wife, all sexual temptation just goes away. No, it doesn't. It becomes more serious, actually, because now you've made covenants to a woman. So actually, in your years, you have an opportunity to pursue faithfulness, like David has talked about this week, and say, you know what, God, I could do this, and no one is going to know, but I want to, with integrity, in my own private space, to follow you and give glory to you with whatever I do, including having a Tommy Tanker. Okay, so the answer is no. What do you do when you mess up? You go to God. It's like, God, I'm sorry, I've given in to temptation, like um, Martin was talking about. And you know what, I, when I used to masturbate, I used to be like, oh no, I must have better again. Okay, I better this this worship time just stay quiet and hang back, have a bit of like, you know, gotta punish myself a little bit and stay distant for God. No, no. God's saying, no, quickly repent. You know, God, I'm sorry, I've done this, and receive his forgiveness. And God say, Okay, well let's go again. Let's keep going for that self control and that patience. Okay? And when you mess up, you know what? You can share it with someone as well. Don't need to give them all the details. 
no one else needs to know all them. But you can say to someone, you know what, I'm struggling with this uh, with, um, sexual temptation. Please help me. You know what? I'd even encourage you to speak to your parents about it. Who wants to do that? Put your hands up. No, I don't. But you know what? Your parents know what it's like. You know, I've been there. So you know what? This is becoming, I just, I don't want to be like this. And actually, you're living in the house with me. Please help me put things in my life that help me with this. Okay. Talk to you youth leaders about it as well. Big question. Someone asked, um, guys, would you fight 10 duck-sized horses or one horse-sized duck? Um, I think I would probably take on the horse-sized duck, I feel like. If it was just one, I'd, t- I'd tackle him. Yeah, I just think I just think one-on-one I could handle it. So there you go. There's no way. I think 10 little uh, duck-sized horses, you just get them one-on-one, just boot them out, just off they go. I don't want to... Imagine a horse-sized duck. Are you joking? Yeah, size that thing. I just think let all the little horse ducks run around. I'll just be like picking them off. It's very serious, Sandeep. Here we go. Um, okay. England have won the Ashes, everyone. Yay! So that's good news. That's what I've been doing. And I realised I haven't done my fantasy football team today. I'm absolutely gutted. I'm only losing points. Anyway, on to temptation. Um, I've got a question. What are your main, main temptations and how do you deal with them? So Stephen's just talked about sexual temptation. That was a big one in my teens, um, and still now. So Stephen's talked about it a bit. I'm going to give you two quick tips on how to avoid the sin of, of masturbation and lust. When you get that feeling, when you're alone in bedtime, don't bring a computer or your phone. Keep it away from your bed. Keep it from away from that area. Otherwise, you'll get massively tempted. If you are feeling bored or lonely or on by yourself, go for a walk. Just get away from the situation. Flee. The Bible says flee from sin. Flee from temptation. Um, another little cheeky tip. If you're feeling that, that way, like you're going you're gonna to masturbate, read the Bible. Because as Martin said, it's not a sexy book. <laughs> and, y- you know, <laughs> you read the Bible and you're like, I'm not going to do it anymore. Like, I'm not going to do that. Um, so another temptation of mine was um, actually anger. Um, so when I was, yeah, when I was like 14, 15, I got quite a lot of racist comments against me um, during the, the London, the London bombings, and I just got really angry. Um, I got into quite a lot of fights, um, and I just, I, I have a, I have a switch that if it gets pressed, then I just sort of lose control a bit. Um, and I've struggled with that quite a lot. Um, I struggle with it, with it now. Um, and my, my way of dealing with it is just to lock myself or walk away from the situation, otherwise it will escalate. So for me, I've been praying for the Holy Spirit to, to calm it down. I'm quite a chilled out guy, um, so when I, when I flip the switch, it goes quite mad. But <laughs> so, yeah, how I deal with it, walk away from the situation. My grandmother taught me to count to 10 on my head, and I still, I still help, but now I just, just get away, walk away, go for a walk, calm myself down. So boys, if you're feeling like that, I know some of you are, and you're getting angry with your siblings, your parents, whatever, walk away. It's not worth it. Go chat to your parents about it. Get out of the situation. Okay? Amazing. It'd be so helpful if I could count to ten. That would be really good advice. You can do that. You're an accountant. If you couldn't count to ten, we'd be in a lot of trouble, I think. Um, one of the questions was, what difference um, has God made uh, in your life? Um, during my teens, uh, my early teens, um, I was bullied a lot. And um, 
was filled with a lot of anger. And as I got older, um, I became a real bully and was not much fun to hang around with. Um, used to drink a lot, um, go out in uh, where I lived and got in some fights and used to party very hard and, again, was just real bully to everyone around me. Um, I had lots of mates, uh, but kind of the people who you hang around with as opposed to really good friendships. Um, felt very lonely, um, very insecure. And um, becoming a Christian took all the focus off me. It was, I'd been trying to, uh, my life till that point had been all about Doug. It was all about how can I look like, what can I dress to make myself look bigger? Um, how can I get, uh, go to the gym more? How can I impress the girls more? How can I drink more? How can I do all those things to make Doug look as cool as possible? And actually, Jesus just broke my heart for him. He said, you need to leave your old self behind. You need to give yourself completely to me. You need to get rid of all that stuff. And I literally, um, the person who left, I used to live in Edinburgh and I moved to Brighton. I became a Christian within the first few weeks. And that person uh, who went back home, um, that, that Doug was never, ever seen again. Um, the guys who I used to hang out with, I never saw them ever again. As soon as um, that person disappeared and that silly Doug bubble was popped, all of those things just disappeared. Um, the people who uh, cared about me, uh, they loved me for who I was. And there was uh, Jesus um, just reminded me again uh, that he had made me completely unique, um, that he loved me uh, for the way he'd made me. I didn't have to spend hours and days and weeks worrying about what other people thought. And my life became all about Jesus. Um, anger, again, as Sandeep said, was a big one uh, for me. And just being able to walk away, uh, the power of prayer is huge. Uh, if you're hating on someone, if someone is winding you up, uh, people are bullying you, um, or you're a bully yourself, um, then actually I'd really encourage you to pray uh, for the people who either you're being bullied by or the people you're bullying. And actually praying God's blessing over those people and really asking God for the best for those people will make a huge difference in those scenarios. Great. Someone asked a question. Um, if you're struggling with sexual sin or with sin in your life, do you talk to your parents or do you talk to your youth leader? Um, so I just want to take a couple of minutes to answer that question. I think um, my, my easy answer would be both. I think you can you know, find support and encouragement from both. But I just want to say this. I think your parents carry the primary responsibility for your care, for your development, for your upbringing. Um, and so if you are in a family and your parents go to church and they, they know Jesus, obviously you're going to be able to have some good conversations with them and I want to encourage you to to make yourselves open and honest with your parents they love you they're for you they want to help you they want to help you grow but your youth leaders do as well and I think sometimes we can think it's one or the other you know if, if I tell my parents I don't need to tell my youth leaders if I tell my youth leaders I don't need to tell my parents I would encourage you to speak to both I think both will bring different uh, input and different uh, kind of uh, encouragements and help and kind of, you know, personal testimony and stories that can help support you and encourage you. If you're from a, a family and your parents don't go to church, um, I think honesty is still really important, actually. I think that actually you can still model something there in terms of the integrity of following Jesus. You can show them that, you know, what Jesus has done in your heart and how you're, you're not quite like a normal kid anymore in that, you know, the things that most people are running after. You don't want to run after those things anymore. And so you're being honest and open. But 
I think for me personally, one of the biggest things I've learned over the last few years is that honesty is massive. The Bible talks about if you keep things hidden in the dark, actually there's, there's no power to break them. Once you bring them into the light, they can be broken very quickly. And so my encouragement to you would be, if there's things that's going on in the secret place that you've not told anyone, maybe it's masturbation has already been talked about, maybe you've already started you know, going out with a girl and you've gone too far, or maybe it's anger, maybe it's judgment, whatever it is that's going on in, in those secret places, I would encourage you to speak to your parents, be honest with them, ask them to pray for you and speak to your youth leaders as well. I think the more support you can get, the better. We all need help and we can't do it on our own. And so we need to be open and honest with with as many people as we can who we know love us, trust us and are for us. So I'd say parents and youth leaders, speak to both and be honest with them. Uh, Great. This one is, uh, what does God think about the LGBT community? That is lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender community. Those people identify with themselves as that. How do we as Christians uh, view them and how does God uh, view them? And uh, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big question in our society. I think particularly big for, our, for my and your generation, probably more so for you than it even is uh, for me. And uh, I live in Brighton where um, there's a, a substantial um, gay community, LGBT community. And uh, we just had last weekend, not this weekend, last, last week, we had our Pride Festival. And that means hundreds, literally 100,000 people came to Brighton to celebrate the fact that they were gay or have um, a sexual lifestyle that's, that's maybe different from just being heterosexual. And it's really important. We work out how do we relate to those people how do we relate to that community or if we're having those kind of feelings what does God think about that even for me and that kind of stuff and I told a bit my story in true story earlier this week about actually when I was your age I was a bit confused about my sexuality you know am I am I homosexual am I heterosexual I'm attracted to women but I kind of find other guys sometimes a bit attractive as well how does that how does that work and stuff like that and it's really important we work out what does God think the reality the Bible is very clear that homosexuality is wrong and that God made sexuality to be shared by a husband and a wife. That sexuality is part of identity and God made it, so gave it to us so that men and women would share it in the safety of marriage. And a bit like fire, fire is a wonderful thing. And if you're a fireplace in your lounge, that's really good. Okay, fire's a good thing, heats things, been cooking it, all that kind of stuff. But if you took, take fire and put it in the middle of, middle of your lounge on your carpet, it'll burn down your house. Not so good. Sex is a bit like that. God's given us sex, and it's a great thing, a one-off thing. It's used for great pleasure, and it's also used for making children. And there are great uses for it, okay? But that's where it's going to stay, within the confines of a marriage. When it goes outside, God says that's sin, and that's not right, okay? And, and sometimes we think, well, that's different to what God says. People are using sex in that way, or taking their sexual identity in a different way, and therefore they are wrong and bad and evil, and God must therefore hate them. And do you know what? Churches and people have used the Bible to say that over the years. The reality is that God loved those, loves those people, and God wants them to be saved and come to know them. God, God also doesn't look, look at them and say, oh, you're an LGBT, LGBT thing person. No, no, he looks at them and thinks, no, you're one I want to save and bring into my community that I love. And how are going to people in that community get to know God's love? By us loving them. That's the way it works. I actually have lots of people in my uh, city where I know them and I love them. And I express that in ways, just a friendship. And sometimes they say to me, oh, you're a Christian. You must hate gays. You must hate me. And I'm saying, no, you may think that, but that's just not true. I said, well, your Bible says this and this and this and this. What do you think about that? And I say to them very clearly, you know what? Those things are very important and to look at. But sexuality is, person- is a kind of a personal topic and you need to work that out. But the thing I'm most concerned about is who do you think Jesus is? 
I try my conversations there because actually, once they know Jesus, then they can work out their sexuality. There's no point in me telling them, oh, you need to change this in your life. No, actually, they need to know Jesus. That's their main need in their life. Not to sort out their sexuality, to sort out who they know Jesus to be. The other stuff will follow afterwards. We've got a guy recently um, who's uh, got saved at our church and he's married to another guy. And he's going to have to work that out going forward. But the most important thing is he's come to know Jesus and then he needs to work it out from there. I hope that's clear. So we got, we got another question here. Is, um, how should young boys relate to young girls in a way that pleases God? And also, um, should boys, should guys have boundaries in relationships? I'm going to say something quite controversial here. Are you ready? If you are between 12 to 14, I don't think you should be in a relationship. I just don't think it. When I was your age, I had a relationship, and it ruined my friendship with her. It ruined it. didn't last. I didn't know. I was not mature enough to, to think that she would be my wife. No way. So I just don't think that, that I don't think the point, I don't see the point in, in dating and courting and flirting with, with, with girls if she's not going to be your wife, lads. If you're 12 to 14, you can't even get a job. How can you support her? How can you support her? You can't get a job. <laughs> well done. Oh man, you're gonna look after your wife really well. I wanna go on a date with you, yeah, mate. Lucky, lucky girl. Can't wait for those McDonald's dates, boys. It's gonna be quality. Um, so I wanna, I wanna encourage the importance of friendships with the girls of the opposite. Well, the girls of the opposite sex with girls. Friendships at your age are so, are just so much better than relationships. Because if you enter relationships with girls, then it will ruin your friendships with them. Because you know, if it lasts, if it lasts till you're 21, you get married, then great. But all probability, it's not going to last. It's going to ruin your friendships. That's it. You're done. Yeah. In terms of boundaries. <laughs> We had a rule, if you can't see, you can't touch. I know you're thinking, well, she's wearing a bikini. No, it doesn't work like that. If you can't see, you can't touch, really. Doug, have you got any more on that? <laughs> I found that a really unhelpful, or helpful, but unhelpful thing my youth leader once said to me. And he said, if a girl is not your wife, so until you've asked a girl to marry you, she is your sister. Exactly. That was my exact reaction. I was like, why would you say that? I don't want to be kissing my sister. <laughs> that is disgusting. Come on. But it's true. The girl who you're fancying in your youth group right now, if she's not your wife, she's your sister. That's it, really. That's all I've got on that. And we had another question that was, how do I keep going with God after New Day? And this is a really key question. Uh, it's important for all of us, really, because New Day is such a high. We are surrounded by thousands of people who think the same as you, do the same as you. We learn all these new songs. We're in the big top. Uh, we're in this little safe place where we can wear no shoes or dress in weird costumes and be who you want to be or whatever. And then you've got to go back into the the wide world, and you still want to go on with God. You still want to keep that intimacy uh, with God. And I would encourage you guys uh, to be reading your Bibles, keep praying, get stuck into your youth groups, 
Get stuck into your church. Get to know people. Get to know your youth leaders. Surround yourself uh, with things that are helpful. There are people in your lives uh, who you know. You know whether or not, you could probably think of them right now if I said who's a bad influence on your life. You could probably think of that one guy who you always sit next to in class or you always find at youth groups if you want to be a bit naughty or do something silly. All those things, it's not bad to have fun. But to surround yourself with some key guys um, who love Jesus, who find a partner, uh, find someone, a buddy who you want to team up with and say, actually, do you guys, do you fancy meeting up? Maybe you guys have got small groups in your youth groups. Maybe that isn't something you do right now, but I'd encourage you to find a few key guys and spend some time with them, regularly praying, regularly reading together, and learn to ask yourself good questions as well. We've talked a lot about masturbation, or girls, or other stuff that's going on, and keep asking yourselves questions, keep being honest with each other, keep being vulnerable, and keep pointing each other towards Jesus. Right, okay, we're just going to answer a couple more questions, and then we're going uh, to bring the seminar to an end. Someone asked a question of, why do bad things happen to good people and to Christians? So I just want to try and answer that question uh, briefly. The first thing I want to say is that sometimes uh, we have a misunderstanding of this. And so when bad things happen, we think that God is punishing us because we've done something wrong um, and that we're deserving it. That's, in the Bible, I don't see that as that is true. I think that there are bad things that happen this coming year, I don't know what you're going to face, but you could face some difficulties this year. It's not because God is angry with you and because he's punishing you. We live in a broken world. We live in a world where the consequence of sin in terms of Adam and Eve and the, their rebellion against God and that all humanity has rebelled against God is that there is pain, there is hurt, there is sickness, there is you know heartbreak. There's loads of horrible things in this world that we will encounter. And Jesus didn't say, come follow me and you'll have a really easy life. He said, come follow me and during the difficulties, you will know that I'm with you I won't leave you as orphans I'll go with you and so actually the thing I want to say is this that it's not really a question of of why do bad things happen to to good people because actually the Bible tells us that no one's good apart from Jesus actually the question is that how can we be those that kind of stand strong during difficult times and this is what I want to say to you is that if you go through difficulties this year I want you to to go into it with a mindset of that Jesus is with me in this and Jesus can help me through this and so look to him the book of Job if if you've asked this question and you want to know more I'd really encourage you to read the book of Job Job is this guy God loves him he's like he's doing amazing and the enemy comes and says yeah the only reason he's doing amazing is because everything's going well and God says well okay take things away then and see how he does. And so the enemy comes and he takes away his family, he takes away his riches, he takes away his health. And then Job's friends rock up and they come and talk to him and they say, oh, well, the reason is you've done something to upset God, you need to sort it out. And so Job's like, well, I don't think I have. And they're like, oh, well, the reason is this, the reason is this, the reason is this. And the whole uh, thing is like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And at the end, God shows up and he doesn't say, Job, let me explain why. He just says, who are you to question me? I know what I'm doing, trust me. And I think we need to grow up being those that trust God, not questioning why, why is this happening, but just saying, Jesus, would you help us through this, believing that he's with us and it will see it through. And then the final thing I want to say, and this is that actually the Bible promises us that if you're a Christian, the, the tough times that you'll face in this life are about a, a vapor in the wind, are about like a grass that grows and then dies really quickly compared to eternity with Jesus. And eternity with Jesus, it tells us that there will be no sickness, there will be no pain, there will be no hurt, there will be no sorrow, there will be no tears. We will we'll know no pain when we're with Jesus for all of eternity. And so we can look to that, even if our whole lives are lives of pain, we can know that there's something better waiting for us and that gives us a hope to get through this life.
Okay, uh, second to last question. Okay, so I've uh, got a question about um, how, do you, how do you cope with the fact that you're not able to deal with emotions properly or us going through depression, which is a big one. I guess even, uh, even at this age, my life can be really, really tough. And at times, that can lead to a great deal of emotion. And also going through puberty means that our emotions can be up and down a, a, as well a bit. And uh, how, how do you cope in the midst of all of that? And... Um, I want to know. I want you to know if that is you, that going through depression, you not you have to go through it alone, and that's the first thing to say. If you're feeling that kind of stuff, one of the big things you can do is begin to share it. Share it with God. The Bible is full of psalms of people saying, "God, why is it like this? This is crud. This is bad. These people are against me. This thing's happened." Do you know what? You can speak to God like that. You can say, "God, life is tough." Please answer me. Please help me. You must learn as Christians to learn how to cry out to God in the hard times. Sometimes when it's hard, you just think, I'll just, just go inside, go insular or go, kind of go introspective, kind of thinking about me, me, me. Right? I must take that actually to God as well. Okay, being in the Word of God is helpful as well. Also sharing with other people, saying, you know what, I'm, I'm feeling like this right now. You know, depression is a, is a real thing. Okay, sometimes it can be a real mental health thing. Sometimes it can be like a, a chemical imbalance, that kind of stuff. So if it's an ongoing thing, you know, it's definitely worth going to see a doctor. Speaking to your parents, like, you know, I've, I've feeling like this for a long time. I'm not feeling great. You know what? There's no shame in just getting some help and working that through. Okay. I mean, you know someone who's, who's depressed and they're going through that. Let me tell you, unless you've been through it, you don't know what it's like. I've never been through it, but I've had family members who've gone through it. And, it, and, and I've not understood it properly, but as I've gone through them, I understand more to have sympathy, to know, you know what, I don't know what it's like to not want to get out of bed in the morning, which maybe that's how you feel. But you know what, there is hope. I've seen many of my friends and family come through depression as well, as God lifts things off, helps them through situations. And actually, God is able to bring freedom from it and bring joy as well. Sometimes it takes weeks, sometimes it's months, sometimes it takes years. But God promises that the day come where all sickness, all sadness, all tears, and yes, all depression will be done away with and we'll dwell in perfect joy with God. If you're feeling hopeless, I just want to encourage you, make sure you get someone to pray with you and keep going and share it with other people. Okay, last question. Microphone. Is is Kieran from uh, Open Door? <laughs> Here he is. Stand up, Kieran. Everyone, give Kieran a round of applause. <laughs> Kieran was bold enough in his in his questions to actually give his name and his church uh, so that we would know who he is. So Doug, remember who he is, okay? This was his question. My question is: Does Doug actually go to rehearsal? And if he does, what does he do? <laughs> so uh, Doug's just going to take him outside and sort him out. <laughs> Okay, on a scale of one to ten, how much do we love Nando's? I'm about a five. I'm all right. I'd probably be a seven, I reckon. I'm like a ten, lads. Cheeky Nando's of everyone. 